Johnson Johnson, the pharmaceutical company, is an absolute monster. It returned 200% dividend reinvested over the last decade. Let's figure out how much cash money, how much hard jack this company makes every single year. And if you bought it today, held it for 10 years, can you make 200% again? Ready? Let's get to work. Okay, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for watching the channel. All the comments, subscribers, I greatly appreciate it. My full-time job, I'm a CFO. I run companies, that's what I do for a living. Uh, this YouTube channel is my just vlog for my own personal discovery. And I started a club called the Cashflow Club for people who are interested in diving into cash flow investing and learning how to fundamentally analyze a business. We have several analysts in this club. You can go to cashflowinvestingpro.com. I'll put the link right, I'll put the uh, URL right here uh, to see more and learn more. But some of the analysts that are in here are producing amazing content. One of what I want to highlight is David, who's produced another piece on Johnson & Johnson. Now, this company has done a tremendous job over the last multiple years and has returned about 200% in the last decade. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look through the stock and we're going to review five key attributes. We're going to look at top line revenue growth. We're going to look at earnings growth. We're going to look at free cash flow. We're going to make sure it has low debt. And most importantly, we're going to see if this stock is well-priced. What is well-priced? A well-priced stock is a stock that with a conservative forecast, you believe will beat the market out the next 10 years. The point of cash flow investing is to wait for the stock price to come to you and buy a stock that has enough cushion or margin of safety, if other people call it, to where your downside is hopefully limited to some degree, but the upside is unlimited. Let's dive through the cash flow club now. Um, so Johnson Johnson, one of the largest, most trusted pharmaceutical companies in the world. Some of its competition, uh, Merck is a huge one, AbbVie, we've reviewed these on the channel before, AstraZeneca, uh, Moderna, Brister Myers Squibb, great company, Pfizer. These are monster companies as is uh, Johnson Johnson. We give you a quick breakdown, geographic uh, revenue distribution. You can see the uh, United States is about half of all revenue. In terms of segment, they've got a consumer health segment was here, $15 billion. Pharmaceuticals, the absolute beast, about 55% uh, of the uh, sales. And then med, med tech is a growing sector within the business. If we look at the year-over-year -year performance, they break out the, uh, the sections on their annual reports, and I highly suggest you read the 10K for every single stock that you own. It's gonna do a couple things. One, it's gonna limit the number of stocks that you can hold in your portfolio because you cannot read the 10Ks for that many stocks. If you have 100 stocks in your portfolio, forget about it. You're not actually reviewing in the detail of the company. So pick a few stocks, and then that will force you to not only limit your selection, but then pick your very best uh, bets are the companies that you feel the, the most passionate about, and that's the one you want to own. Uh, so here, this the segment they took, the consumer health segment uh, was down slightly 1% uh, last year, but it was mostly currency growth. It was 4.1% negative impact of currency. They actually grew the sector uh, 3.6% on an organic basis. Yeah, the, big, the bulk of their revenue comes in from pharmaceuticals. They break out all the drugs down here, which is very nice. You can see if there's a, cost, a concentration of um, where the revenue is coming from on what particular drug. But overall, the sector grew 1.7% year over year. And then finally, the med tech sector, this one grew 1.4% year over year. 
So Johnson & Johnson has uh, rolling patents on all their medical um, uh, pharmaceutical drugs. So any of these companies, you want to look through that distribution list of pharmaceutical drugs, take a look at the patent expiration date, and make sure there's not some sort of cliff coming where they have like half their portfolio is going to roll off in the next couple years. If we keep coming down, and I'm just pulling through their 10K, we can kind of look through the uh, earnings statement that they have. So consol uh, sales to customers or, or revenue, $94 billion in 2022, uh, 93 in 2021, and 82 in 2022. So that's growing revenue the last three years. That's great. The cost of goods sold, that's the both the chemicals that go into the um, uh, the drugs, both in the manufacturing facility that manufactures the drug, the people that are in that manufacturer, manufacturing that's all the variable costs that are that go into producing the drug, the pill, sits in that. It's called the variable cost. You subtract those two, you get gross profit. 54 billion, 63 billion, and 64 billion growing gross profit. Uh, they've got selling, general, and administrative research and development. Both of these are fine relative to the gross profit, $24 billion and $14 billion last year, uh, respectively. That leaves a nice, healthy margin. You also get here in interest expense, $276 million. This is a lot lower than the uh, operating income that they're generating, so they're, they're under leveraged. We'll see that in a little bit. Uh, but in this market, with interest rates rising and probably going to remain elevated or back to normalized uh, level, for quite some time, you want to make sure the companies you're buying do not have too much debt, or most importantly, they're not relying on the debt to move earnings per share. It's a very important lesson here. There are a number of companies in the S&P 500 right now that uh, grow their earnings per share, the EPS only by buying back shares, and they do that by borrowing money. You absolutely must make sure that the business you own can grow the enterprise level earnings. We use EBITDA at this channel, but you can use operating income, <clears throat> EBIT, net income, uh, anything that's at the bottom end of the operating expense line, you want to make sure they can grow that as an enterprise as a whole. Manipulating that number by buying back shares to grow the earnings per share is, is kind of a false sense of security, and you want to watch that. The next statement I want to go through is the cash flow statement. That's my favorite statement. That is your favorite statement is the cash flow statement is where we define how much hard jack they make. Jack, I mean cash. 2022 Consolidated statement of cash flow, there are three statements of cash flow. You must know this, right? The top statement, the first third, the operating cash flow. That is how much hard jack do they make by running their business? When they sell their medical products, their, their pharmaceutical drugs, how much cash are they making year over year? And that number is always in a bold line in the first third of the income uh, cash flow statement is $21 billion of cash. Now, if you imagine they had a pile of cash, $21 billion of that money at the end of the year. What do you do with it? Well, you scroll down the cash flow statement and you figure out what they did with it. Scroll down, the next session is the investing section. So what did they invest in? Well, the very first thing you want to look at, CapEx. CapEx is um, the uh, capital expenditure. And it's usually sitting here, additions to property, plant, and equipment. You might also see a line underneath there that says additions to software. Sometimes they break them out, sometimes they're together. But basically, this is how much money, $4 billion, 
they reinvested back into the facilities that they use to, gen to, 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 to manufacture their pharmaceutical drugs. If you think of it as a, a flywheel or a machine, you have to put sort of, you know, you have to change the belts, the hoses, you have to paint the walls, you have to change the machinery, the technology. All of that is required maintenance that you need to do to keep the flywheel running. That's basically this cash. So you generate $21 billion of cash sitting right here. You peel off $4 billion and put it back in the machine to make sure that next year you can continue that flywheel. So 20, 21 minus 4, what's that, $17 billion of cash left over. So your pile shrinks a little bit. Well, what's next? What's next is dividend stock buybacks and paying debt. Most of this other, um, the, this other investment section is related to acquisitions or um, rolling treasury securities within their uh, balance sheet. Not um, uh, in, in very important, but they're more either uh, financial, uh, how do I say this, um, uh, just, just regular reoccurring money movement transactions. If I move money from my checking account to my savings account, it's recognized here. I didn't actually do anything other than change accounts, but I have to register it. So that's why some of this stuff is here. And then the acquisitions are very important, but we can't, um, we can't, um, but we can't expect an acquisition to happen every single year, nor, uh, nor would we try. So we, we kind of exclude those as one-time items and just focus on CapEx. The next section down below is ca uh, financing, cash flow from financing. So this is how much stock did they issue? This is how much dividends did they pay? How much debt did they issue? How much debt did they pay down? Did they buy back stock? All of that is included in here. So if you recall, $21 billion of, capex, of, of cash flow operations, less four of, ca, of CapEx gives you $17 billion of uh, cash left over at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And what they do with it? Well, they paid uh, $12 billion of a dividend. So that's 17, that's $5 billion left. And they bought back common stock of six, $6 billion. So they're negative $1 billion, but they bought back stock and they pay a dividend it's right here. And you can see every year that dividend is growing, 10.5 billion, 11 billion, 11.5. So that dividend is continuing to click up every year. And we look at this in total. Don't look at this on a per share basis. Make sure the company can do this on a total basis so that way they're not manipulating the, 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 the per share number by the shares outstanding. The next thing you wanna look at is common stock purchasing. That's here. Uh, 3.2 billion, 3.5 billion, and 6 billion. So they're buying back more stock. You want to check that against what they issue. If you go back up the top, you'll see stock-based compensation. Stock-based compensation, 1.1 billion, 1.1 billion, 1 billion. So this is stock that they're giving their employees as an additive incentive bonus. If you net this against what they buy back, 6 billion was purchased. 1 billion was issued roughly. So that's roughly a $5 billion buyback. You wanna make sure you look at those. There are many, many companies out there with this number here, the stock buyback number, is actually almost equal to 20% of revenue or it's their only source of free cash. The only reason this number is positive is because this number is so big. So be careful of those companies and make sure that if they are issuing stock, that they're buying back a whole lot more stock than they're issuing. Otherwise you're gonna get diluted. So. Uh, rounding out this section, you've got short-term and long-term debt. They did roll some debt, 16 minus 6.5, roughly 10 billion of short-term debt that they, that they net issued. And then long-term debt, they paid down long-term debt. So in the whole, there was a little bit of cash that they had to bring in the, bring in the door, they made some acquisitions. And in the year, 
Here's the total year change where they ended 17, they ended with $17 billion of cash uh, on the balance sheet. That's the cash flow statement, operating, investing, and financing. All right, I wanted to show you one of the breakdowns uh, that we show on the cash flow club. Here's the cumulative return for Johnson & Johnson since 2013 to 2023. They've made almost 200% or investors have made almost 200% on this wonderful company that just continues to march along. And they are not doing it by manipulating their balance sheet. They are doing it by growing the top line and growing earnings, buying back shares, paying a dividend and the dividends are growing, the sharebacks are growing. So that is a beautiful line that's like maybe a 40 degree angle, fantastic. This is a neat, very neat company with a very long trajectory. The question is, at what price do you need to buy it to kind of fit in this, 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 this line and not overpay for it? So this is what we do at the Cashflow Club. We project what we believe would be a conservative number. And I'm gonna caution you here, you gotta do your own numbers. This is not a, a by any means an endorsement of a stock. This is just how you fundamentally break down a stock and how you estimate long-term uh, expectations. And then you yourself can judge, hey, is this forecast, do I believe the forecast uh, uh, is reasonable? Because ultimately, if I buy the stock based on this analysis, I'm putting my money on this forecast and I'm saying this forecast is right and I'm gonna put my money against this. So you wanna make sure you smell check that. And you can always add a margin of safety uh, by making sure that this, for the forecast is very conservative. If you think that forecast is easily or maybe guaranteed like a lock, then it's very risk, that there's very low risk that it's gonna miss. That's a good margin of safety uh, when you're looking at a business. So what we do is we kind of look at history. You can see businesses uh, go up and down. There, there's, never, there's never as smooth as your forecast is gonna be. So you have to buy stock knowing that I'm gonna own it for at least 10 years to make sure this pans out. But it's, it's gonna ebb and flow. And we think based on this history, we're gonna get, we're gonna get revenue growth at 3% annually over the next decade. That's our estimate. It's just kind of a, a ballpark in the air based on what we've seen historically. And what that does is it produces roughly 3% EBITDA growth over that period of time, knowing that they've had very strong EBITDA growth historically. Some of that's from acquisition, margin improvement, blah, blah, blah. But to be conservative, we're gonna say we're gonna match EBITDA growth with revenue growth, so the margins don't grow any wider. They're gonna stay the same, and we're gonna kind of coast through and we're gonna make the stock price come to us. The next chart I wanna show you is dividends and share buybacks collectively. Now, it's very important. A lot of investors will only look at the dividend or the dividend yield, and they'll buy a stock based on the dividend, and that's not the proper way to do it. You wanna make sure you include all cash that's given to investors, uh, in this case, in the form of a share buyback. So here, the blue line is the dividend. The blue bar is the dividend. You can see the dividend is growing nicely every year. And this is total cumulative money. Now, I'm not doing dividend per share. I'm just looking at the total pile of cash that goes out for dividends. That's what you want growing. Because if, if you do it on a per share basis and they pay out the same dollar amount every year, but the shares outstanding decrease, then the dividend per share is gonna go up, but falsely because it's the shares that are declining, not the business that's outperforming. And this is showing you business total dividend is going out, is going up every year. If they buy back shares on top of it, it grows even faster. The orange is share buyback. So every year they're buying back shares, every year they're paying out dividends, the dividend is going more and more, uh, which, is, which is very, very nice to see. And you can see this yield, the, the kind of the, the cumulative release divided by the market cap gives you a yield. They're currently yielding about a little less than 4%. I would like to see that up in the fives. If we can get that up in the fives, you'd probably be a really good time to buy this stock. 
So here's another way to look at the business. This is a multiple of free cash flow. So if I take blue bars of free cash flow kind of up and down a little bit, and I divide that by the enterprise value, I get this market multiple. So this is an enterprise value, uh, free cash flow divided by enterprise value. And that says that that number is going up, meaning you're paying more and more for the free cash flow uh, based on this, this, this market, which is relentlessly marching higher with some sort of, um, in my opinion, uh, unrealistic expectations of future growth. Uh, so I would like to see this company come back down into a cheaper range, about 20 times free cash flow. I think that'd be a much better deal than paying almost 30 times cash flow, which is a decade level high against this stock. You want to you want to buy a stock with a margin of safety. You can do that by setting conservative growth forecasts. You can also do it by buying at a lower multiple than they have historically. And right now, people are buying this stock at an all-time high market multiple of free cash flow. The same can be said about uh, EBITDA. So if we look at enterprise value here and the market multiple of EBITDA, you can see this, this slow trend upwards of market multiple of enterprise value divided by EBITDA. Here we're sitting at 14 and a half. I'd like to see that thing back sub 13. Um, 12 would be a great time. So I think you gotta wait for some kind of pullback. Uh, but let's take a look at the forecast and look at the numbers and see what, uh, see what shakes out. All right, so let's review the five key attributes for this company. So this is the one pager, the coup de gras that we release in the cash flow club. We make one pagers like these for all kinds of different companies. I think we're covering 150 now. I just did a webinar last month where I picked the stock, the top stock picks uh, for the company. That one was in black and white just for my own notes, but uh, they're all in color. What you wanna do is you wanna find a stock that you really like, you keep the material out, you wait for the price to come to you. And what we do is we summarize 10 years of history so you have some sort of perspective of what we believe are the key elements of a business. There's lots to look at, there's lots of metrics to go over, but what you wanna do is you wanna make sure you focus in on the ones that are truly drive performance of the company. I'll give you an example. Um, inventory turn ratio for a manufacturing company. If you look at that, it's a very important metric, but overall there are much more higher value metrics that you wanna follow in my opinion, like free cash flow, debt leverage ratios, revenue, earnings, uh, and only then you, only after those check the box can you dive into a more, more detailed note like inventory turn. So here we go, revenue. Revenue's been growing 3% over the last decade for Johnson Johnson. Started at 70.3 billion, has grown to $94 billion last fiscal year. A pretty good steady increase over time. There's a little bit of a stall period in 2015. I'm sure that coincided with a lower market multiple as revenue came down. That's when you're leaning into the fear factor of the market. Here in 2015, when revenue fell from 74 billion to, to 70 billion, market freaked out, dumped the shares, they became cheap. You then lean into the fear factor that, they, that the market had and you get a rebound from 70 to 90 billion dollars and you make 200% like that. So that's where you wanna make sure you have perspective of a business. And if you're thinking long-term, you can kind of capitalize on those errors that the market made. EBITDA, 4% annualized CAGR growth, 23 billion in 13. 23 billion, sorry, 32 billion currently, so up by $10 billion in a decade in profit. EBITDA growth slightly faster than revenue growth, so your margins are expanding. I love to see that. Debt, 18 billion to 40 billion. That's some healthy growth there. We'll come back to that in a second. Excess cash, nice levels of excess cash. They have plenty of cash. 
Market cap is average shares outstanding times price. I use fully diluted shares. You can use weighted average, you can use end of fiscal year, but I like fully diluted shares uh, because it accounts for any dilution for the conversion of debt. Some businesses have convertible notes and you wanna make sure you're assuming that dilution in your numbers. So it went from $266 billion to $472 billion, a 7% annualized growth rate. I add debt plus market cash, less excess cash, I get enterprise value. Enterprise value is the total value of the business, the true value of the business. What trades in the stock market is only this column and it ignores what has $40 billion of debt on it. And you wanna make sure you're always looking at the enterprise value of the total business, not simply what's traded in the stock market. So then what we can do is we can take the enterprise value, the total value of the business, divide it by the earnings, the EBITDA, and you get a multiple of earnings. That's what I showed before, basically 12 to 15 times right now. I'd like to see it at the cheaper end of the range, but it hovers between 12 and 15. That's its range to some degree. And the leverage net debt to EBITDA, it is basically zero, one times uh, EBITDA last fiscal year. That's a great, great number. That means the company's highly under leveraged, and that's what you want. You want to buy a business that has no debt because, well, this test has some debt. It's got one times net debt. But you want to buy a business with no debt because that means that you, as the equity holder, are essentially in a bond light bond holder like collateral position with equity like upside. So you're buying a stock with no no debt in front of you. So you have protection on on the um, from the from a, from a bankruptcy perspective. You have first senior secured claim on the assets of the business because there's no one in front of you. I'm acknowledging there's a little bit of debt here, but in total it's very low. So then you've got collateral that's backstopping your, your value of the business, the, the, the underlying value of the business, but you get all the upside for earnings growth. Unlike bondholders that get no earnings growth, a stock owner gets the earnings at the upside, but you get the collateral protection as the bondholder. So I like that position. Adjusted free cash flow. This is us taking free cash flow from operations and subtracting stock-based comp. That's what we do. That grew positively at 2%. These two numbers are correlating directionally right, which means accounting team, good job accounting team, is expensing expenses properly. I like to see that. CapEx, we covered. Debt payments, we covered. We net these up and you get $23 billion of free cash flow for the equity holders. That's you and me. We get a pro rata share of that number based on the number of shares that we own. That's what we kind of theoretically control, uh, even though management can decide if they how much they pay out, how much they buy back stock. But that is really what our shares are based off of. On a per share basis, it's basically $8.82. I'm acknowledging there's a, there's a debt payment and inflow here, so that number's probably a little high. It's probably somewhere closer to $6.60 a share. But I divide that by price, I get a free cash flow yield. Yield is about 5%. That's excuse me, about 4% if I back up a year so you don't have the inflow of the bondholders. But overall, this is checking the box. You've got revenue growth, EBITDA growth, strong free cash flow, and low debt. Let's see if it's well-priced. So we're gonna scroll down to the next section of the one-pager where we forecast this business. So we produce two forecasts, one EBITDA, one free cash flow. We look at both of them and we kind of judge them. Most of the time we just split the difference and average the two. But the EBITDA, 30, to, excuse me, $33 billion to $43 billion out a decade later. That's 3% annual growth at a 14 times market multiple. So it's going to come down a little bit from its current level. That gives me enterprise value of $600 million, less some debt plus some cash, 
$580 billion of market cap divided by shares. That's going to get $218 as a thumb in the air. Guess who knows what the future holds. Guess at stock price, $218 on a 3% annual growth rate, which we think is conservative. Cash flow, like I said, if remove that debt that they draw in last year to help with some acquisitions, their cash flow is about $6 and change uh, per share. So I start with six bucks and a quarter, and I grow that over time at about 3% annually to $9.56. I apply a 4.5% yield to that, and I get a $212 price target. I've got two price targets now. I've got 218, 212 average the two and I get $215 per share for the stock price. Now, this section is the consolidated IRR. This is saying I own a pro rata share of this, or I own this free cash flow, whether it's dividend to me, whether they buy back shares, whether they use, make it to acquisitions, or whether they keep it in the balance sheet, I still own it. Uh, so this is my pro rata share. I can buy the stock right now at $171 per share, as much share as I want. I get this share price uh, distribution of cash flow, and I'm out at $215 a share. This is my stream of cash flow, and it's going to yield me a 7.5% IRR for 10 years. That is sub-market. That's some 10%. We want something more than 10% annually. That means the stock price is too high based on our 3% growth rate. Now, if you think they're going to outperform and grow higher at a growth rate, you might want to buy the stock. But we're going to sit back and wait and say, hey, look, we want the stock price to come to us. So we will put this on the shelf, continue to watch it. And when the stock price falls, we will be buyers. Now, what price do you need it to make the return? Well, down here, I've got a little distribution for you. So if this price gets down below, call it $140 a share, you start turning double-digit IRR for a very stable, low-debt, cash flow monster, that's a good deal. In my humble opinion, you can decide for yourself, seek your own financial advice. But I like that stock. If So what you want to do, put this bad boy on the shelf. If hypothetically there's a credit crisis coming, I don't know, and the market melts down and people start selling stocks and Johnson Johnson falls down below 1, 125, ooh, man. That is a time to take a look at this great stock. Let's review the five key factors. Number one, top line revenue growth, check the box. Number two, earnings growth, check that box. Number three, strong free cash flow, yes. Number four, low debt, yeah, it's only one type. And number five, well-priced, no, it is not. It's not well-priced in my humble opinion. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna give this a meh, bringing the cards back. I'm gonna give it a meh because I like all four factors, but the fifth one, I wanna wait for that timing and then strike when the, when the iron's hot. So I will, uh, I'll sit back and wait for a better price on this wonderful company, which is Johnson Johnson. Throw me a comment down below. Uh, it always helps the old algorithm on YouTube. I greatly appreciate that. Hit the subscribe button uh, if you want more content. We're going through lots of stocks. And I highly recommend that you check out the Cash Flow Club at cashflowinvestingpro.com, where we uh, uncover hidden gems of stocks that are expected to return 15, 20, 30% IRR numbers that we have in that club uh, just because of the way the market's kind of overlooking some of these uh, amazing cash machines as, as the market leading into AI and the tech sector. I think they're throwing away some, some pretty amazing companies. Uh, some of, one of our cash flow members had a 30% return so far since he's been in the club. So good for all of them. I, I wish everybody the best and uh, we'll catch you later. Take care. Bye-bye.